So we're going to be reading John 15 from 1 to 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the brains are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and its will be done for you. But this, my Father, is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is the Lord's word. So that, that text that Marcos just read from John 15 is one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture, but it can also be taken as a really offensive passage as well, because there is a part in there that says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, like a branch that's connected to a tree. But the other part of it is, it says, if you don't abide in me, it's going to wither and the branch will break off and you'll be thrown into the fire. So... That's the word of the Lord, right? It can be either beautiful or terrifying or offensive, depending on what you're reading. And so uh, to get started today, I was thinking about another text that's very similar, and it's going to tie into what I'm going to preach on today. And it's the preamble to the United States Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. You know, if you're an American during that time, this is really exciting. This is a beautiful text. We're establishing a more perfect union. 
if you're Great Britain at that time, this is a deeply offensive text. What do you mean a more perfect union? What more did you want? And so that phrase, the more perfect union, is actually one that I was thinking about this week because today in the sermon I'm going to be preaching is, is going to be focused on this beautiful theological phrase, union with Christ, union with Jesus. And so as, as the preamble to the U.S. Constitution longs for a more perfect union, this experiment of the United States as a democracy being a more perfect union of bringing together all different types of people, so too theologically as a Christian, the doctrine of union with Christ is establishing a more perfect union for people, for people like you and me. And so let me give you just a few opening quotes about what union with Christ means to some people. I think there's four of them I'm going to give you. First is by a man named Kevin DeYoung. He says, union with Christ may be the most important doctrine you've never heard of. So this might be the first time you've ever heard the phrase today. And that's okay. I'm going to explain it a little bit. Number two, this is the one that's on the front of your bulletin. It's by a man named Lewis Smeeds. He says, union with Christ is at once the center and the circumference of authentic human existence. Whoa. So to be authentically existing as a human, union with Christ is not only the center, but it's also the circumference. Sorry, I'm bringing in geometry already here. The third quote I'll give here is by a man named John Murray. He says, nothing is more central or more basic than union with Christ. It is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And then the last one, J.I. Packer, communion between God and man is the end to which both creation and redemption are the means. It is the goal to which both theology and preaching must ever point. It is the essence of true religion. It is indeed the definition of Christianity. The definition of Christianity is union with Christ. So let's unpack this a little bit for us. Um, This is not just going to be a theology lecture. Don't worry, you're not going to be hearing you know, any systematic theology you know, 101 teaching today. This is meant to be a, applicable to you in your day-to-day life today and right after this sermon. So let me give a few images of what union with Christ really means, because you've already heard one of them. One of them was read by Marcos from John 15. It's the image of a tree. So picture a tree, and there's, there's a vine that runs up the middle, And the only way branches can grow and bear fruit is if they are unified with the vine. That's one image that the Bible uses of what union with Christ is. Jesus says, I am the vine. You and I are the branches. We grow only as as we are connected to Jesus, the vine. Second image that the Bible uses is one of marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this beautiful image of marriage, of Christ being the groom and the church being the bride. And when we come to faith in Jesus, it's a spiritual marriage. Just like marriage that we understand here on earth as well between a man and a woman. The third image that the Bible uses is is one of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it talks about how you and me are, are diverse and unique and different and 
So one of us could be a foot, one of us could be an elbow, one of us could be a rib, one of us could be, well, you can take it as long as you want. But the point is, is that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the body. And you and I make up all the other parts collectively with our uniqueness. But Jesus is the head. And so as you know, we don't need a headless horseman. There's my Halloween joke for the day. We don't need a headless church. We need a church that has a head to it. It's Jesus. And the last image that the Bible uses, there's probably more. These are just four initial ones. But the last one that I'll mention right from the front is um, a temple or a, a beautiful building of worship. First Peter chapter 2 talks about if you're building a temple or a, or a building of any kind, Jesus is the cornerstone. And then you and I are these living stones that are built upon the cornerstone. And so with every one of these images, the important thing to realize is that you can exist in your own individual part of the metaphor. You could be a stone, you could be an elbow, you could be a bride, you could be a branch. But if you're not connected to the other parts, you're not gonna be the fullest version of that you can be. The stones need to be on the cornerstone. The branch needs to be connected to the vine. A bride needs a groom, right? All these images are necessary. And so what does it really mean for you and I? That's what I'm going to spend just a few moments of your time on this morning. Number one, union with Christ means that you are no longer your own. You are no longer your own. Stephen cannot just be Stephen all by himself. To be unified with Christ means that you are no longer your own. And this is where I want to bring in this text in your bulletin, Galatians 2.20. And I'm going to use this as a way of unpacking the next several points. So let me read it with you first. Galatians 2.20. This is in one sense just a short summary of what the doctrine of union with Christ really means for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the same image is already applicable now to us now. You, you can live on your own if you want, but you're not going to be the fullest you if you're doing it on your own. So union with Christ, first of all, means you're no longer your own first. You were meant for something greater to be connected to. And so that first line, I have been crucified with Christ, is how Paul begins that, that short verse. And at first glance, that does not seem like a great thing. Why would I want to be crucified alongside Jesus? Didn't he, didn't he die on the cross in my place? Isn't that the whole point of Christianity is that I didn't die on the cross? So why is Paul saying now that I'm crucified with him? Because I thought that was the whole point of Christianity is that I didn't die on the cross. Well, yes, I mean, the dying here is not you dying on the cross with Jesus for the sins of the whole world. Yes, he did die in your place there. But the point of this is that you're dying to the cycle of the pattern of the life that you're living. The life that is crushing you without you even knowing it. When you believe in Jesus, your sinful, broken, self-centered life then is also crucified. You see, if you're trying to live life apart 
from the crucifixion of Jesus yourself, you're marching towards an eternity apart from him. And so when you believe in Jesus, your crucified life is your sinful life, your broken life, your, your self-centered life, the life that you think is, is building you up on your own. That's what's being crucified here. It is gone forever. And so right here from the beginning, you see this, this text is pointing us back to history, to the historically verified crucifixion of Jesus, which is verified by secular and religious scholars throughout history. Jesus died on a literal cross in Calvary by the Roman Empire at a certain time in history. And that's a verified human historical fact in the past, his death on the cross for you and me. And it applies to us because Jesus took all of our sin on himself and he's taking our independent way of living and putting it to death. Now, again, is that really what you want? Do you want your independence to be put to death? Because Paul here is saying that that's, that's the best possible thing that can happen to you is that your independence is crucified with Jesus, your sinful independence. But I could see how when you first hear that, you're saying, wait a second, especially because I read from the preamble to the U.S. Constitution earlier, which is all about independence, right? All about freedom. Is that pushing up on our American liberties to say, you're not meant to live your life independently. So just take a moment to count the cost with that one and be honest with how that makes you feel. Do you really want your independence taken away? Because then the very next line of Galatians 2 is, it is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Wait a second. What are you doing, God? You're taking away, you're taking away me. You're taking away my independence, my, my way of living. And again, that's, put here, that's proposed here as a good thing, as the best possible thing to happen to you is to have your old life taken away. Why is that a good thing? And the only way that can possibly be a good thing, the only way that can possibly be a good thing is if you're being united to a better thing. You see, because every other example of your independence being taken away in this life is always a bad thing. So if you lived under the, under the reign of King of King George or, any, or King Richard or take any of the kings of, of ancient England. If you lived under their reign, you were under, under their rule. Or if you live in modern day dictatorships, you're living under the reign of somebody. You don't have independence. You don't have freedom like you have in this country. That's a bad thing. Or if you're taken to prison, your independence is taken away. That's a bad thing to be in prison. So all we have is negative images of independence being taken away. But what if the best thing that could happen to you is to have your independence taken away, but you're being attached to a good thing? So not being attached to an evil dictator, not being attached to a prison cell, but you're being attached to a loving, gracious father who's allowing you to live in the way you were always meant to live, that you actually couldn't even do when you were independent on yourself. And so when you are united with Christ, you can find life and joy and soul satisfaction that you couldn't find when you were independently living on your own. 
You see, because all of us are united to something. We are in union with something else always. We are united to certain desires. We are united to certain relationships that may not be healthy for you. United to certain addictions. United to certain sports teams that never win the championship. You're united to things that are just naturally going to hold you back. And so to be unified with Christ is to be broken away from those things and invited into brand new things. So therefore, it's no longer you who live. The old you is gone and something new is happening. And the beautiful thing is that the old you was never the real you. It was the tainted, scratched, incomplete, broken version of you. It was never the fullest version of you. You know, the Bible loves to use the image of a seed. You know, a seed, in order to grow and to bear fruit, needs to be buried in the ground. It needs to die. It needs to be crucified to itself so that it then can grow and bear fruit. A seed is not meant to remain a seed. The only way it can be truly what it was meant to be in the fullest sense is if it is buried, dead, and then grows with the proper watering and environment. And so union with Christ, the second point then, the first point is that union with Christ means that you're no longer you. The second point is that union with Christ means that you are fully you again. So welcome to the real you through being unified with Christ. Paul goes on to say, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So union with Christ means that Jesus lives in me, meaning that I am still distinctly Stephen. So when it says I've been crucified, it doesn't mean that Stephen is crucified in his entirety. It doesn't mean that my personality goes away. It doesn't mean that my looks go away, although that might be a good thing, I guess. Um, It means that I'm still distinctly Stephen. And all my personality, my looks, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, I still look like me to the outside world. Everything, Everything looks the same. People will look at me and see the same Stephen and the same things as before. My substance doesn't change. My job may not change. My circumstances may not change. Nothing may actually change outwardly because of being unified with Christ. But something radically has changed and I'm new. Through being unified with Christ, I am new. Something profoundly different has entered in to me inwardly and changes my whole life. It's like if you've ever had a really faulty car and it's not running and it's broken and it's not getting you from point A to point B and then you take it to your mechanic and they put a new transmission in it and it runs again. Again, they didn't change the paint color. They didn't change the outward appearance. They just changed the inside and then it runs and it works and it moves I am now the fullest version of myself through Christ living in me. And people may not see any visible difference in me. Okay, he still looks the same, still has the same job, still is the same height. But over time, if you've changed inwardly, if you've had that union with Christ experience, people begin to see something and they'll begin to say things like, something has changed in Stephen. Something is different about him. 
what happened to Stephen? He still is the same, but he's not the same. Something new has happened. We become fully ourselves when Christ lives in us. And so Paul's, Paul goes on to say, he says, the life I now live in the flesh, again, still a human, still the same person, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live in Jesus. It's not, not only Jesus living in me, but I live in him. It's a mutual indwelling here that happens. That's what union with Christ means. It's not just him invading my life and hiding himself in me. And I just get to be the passive recipient of it. It's also, I get to pursue him and hide myself in him and be part of his life. It's a mutual indwelling here that happens. This is me also taking the intentional step to pursue a life with Christ, to move more purposefully towards him and to find my whole identity and destiny only in him. Now, let me just pause here and give you a, an image to think about, because this was really cool when I read this this week. This, I read this in a book. The name of the book was Union with Christ. So you can see why I was reading it this week. It was helping me understand this concept a little bit better. But the illustration is this. It's, um, it's written by a, a person named Rankin Wilburn, and she's talking about a friend that he has. And this is, I'll just quote it for you. I'll just read it straight for you. But picture this. He says, I have a friend who used to be Mickey Mouse. She was the person inside the Mickey Mouse costume at Disneyland. And reflecting on her time in Mickey, she said, quote, growing up, I thrived on behavior modification. I thought that if I'm good, I will be loved. If I'm bad, I will be rejected. I learned to wear a mask, is what she said. Not to show what was really going on inside of me. My core beliefs were that I was not worthy, not accepted, not loved. So I would clamor and manufacture ways to bring about the positive responses I wanted from people. And when I put on the Mickey Mouse costume, she said, I got that positive response from 100 people all at once. So the author says she felt safe and loved, literally covered in Mickey's righteousness. But she also gained a new sense of what it means to be in Christ. She recalled praying, Lord, is this what it's like to have masses of people run towards you with joy, excitement, and eagerness? What a cool image, right? She's one person, and yet she puts on the Mickey Mouse costume, and she becomes Mickey Mouse. They don't know who she is at that moment. They just see Mickey Mouse. And people run to her to get pictures taken with her. And they laugh and they smile and they're filled with joy because of Mickey Mouse. Not because of knowing who she is, but because of Mickey. Because that's what they see. She is in Mickey Mouse. And the same is true on a much deeper level for you and I when we are in Jesus. We are like the same image. We are in Christ. And when people see us, they actually see Jesus. This is what it's like for us to be in Christ on the deepest possible level. I choose to take on Christ, to hide in him, to find all my identity in him now. But the other part of this metaphor is that I don't lose my personality or my uniqueness, like I said earlier. So she disappeared into Mickey Mouse. No one knew who she was. But you and I don't disappear fully into Jesus without people knowing who we are. 
part of the joy of us being in Christ is that we get to maintain our personality, maintain who we are while being transformed daily and more into the likeness of Christ. So the summary is that this is a mutual indwelling. Like I said, I and you, you and me. That's what John 15 was talking about, Jesus was saying. Union with Christ means Jesus lives in me, I live in Jesus. But why would I want to do this at all? That's where that last line of Galatians 2.20 just jumps in for us. The only reason why I would want to do that, the only reason why I would want to give up my independence and to take on Jesus like that is because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Only because of his love and sacrifice for me would I want to give up myself to take him on. Because it all points back to the character of God, who he is, his love and compassion and mercy. And it all points back to his action for us, which was his sacrifice on the cross for us. All this is for me. All this is for you, individually, uniquely. God did this for you so that you could be transformed and changed by his love and be shaped by him always. So you are no longer your own. And this is why the Bible and you and I use the the term Christian because we become his. I don't have to be a a Stephen-ian. I get to be a Christian, take on Christ and all of his fullness, all of who he is. Now, just a couple of last things, just practical implications for you and I today. First is that this is a doctrine that's not just for history, This is a doctrine for today. So sometimes I know it feels like when we preach about Jesus dying on the cross and raising on the third day, some people would say, well, that's all just ancient history. That's that happened all that time ago. What about today to be unified with Christ, have union with him is a daily ongoing reality of your life, meaning that you are united to him. Justification is in the past, the once and for all event that we point back to, which is so important But this union with Christ is the basis for what we call sanctification, which we'll talk more about in next week's sermon, about how do you pursue Christ more day by day? You can't be sanctified or grow in your sanctification if you're not unified with Christ, if you haven't found union with him. So this is a daily moment by moment reality of being one with Jesus. Number two, this means that you'll never truly ever be alone again. To have union with Jesus means that you're never walking through life by yourself. Even if you experience loneliness, even if you're living by yourself, even if a loved one has passed away, you are never truly alone because Jesus lives in you. He dwells in you and you in him. You will never be alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. Billy Graham uses the image of um, a little boy who's flying a kite And he lets the kite go so far up into the sky that it actually kind of gets lost behind some low-lying clouds. And a person walks by and says, how do you know your kite is still up there? And the little boy responds, I know it's still up there because even though I don't see it, I can feel the tug every once in a while when the wind catches it. And that's the image for you and I with being unified with God and having union with Christ is that we may not always see that evidence. We may not always feel it, but we'll get that tug. We'll get that evidence from God 
at the right times, that he's still with us. He has not left you or forsaken you. The third thing that this means is that you can actually do anything. Nothing is, nothing is too much for you if, you're un, if you have union with Christ. So there's a famous passage in Philippians 4, which you've probably heard because football players loves, love to quote this one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it can be manipulated to mean a lot of wrong things, but the true thing that it means is that it's true. If you're, if you're connected to Jesus, if you have union with him, if he's living in you and you're pursuing him, what can't you do? You have the living God living in your life. So all things are possible for you. You can change. You can become more and more in what you were meant to be. Every day becomes the beginning of the rest of your life. You can find purpose and joy. You can be good. Everything that you want to be is actually possible through Christ living in you. Because Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Because of what he's done for you. And lastly, final point I'll make is that union with Christ means that your salvation is secure. That if you take on his righteousness, that free gift of righteousness that he's offering you, if you put that on yourself, Jesus is offering you again his full life, saying, I want to live in you. I want to be part of your daily life. If you say yes and you take that on, then literally you are in Christ for the rest of your life. Nothing can take that away from you. And the best image I can think of is, um, you know, many of you maybe have an iPhone, which a lot of the newer iPhones these days have, um, have face ID, where it's this facial recognition software where you look at your phone and you don't even have to type in the passcode anymore. If it sees your face, it unlocks the phone for you. Pretty amazing technology. And this, this is, I had this moment this week where I was like, wow, I just, I had a spiritual moment with the face ID. If you're thinking about it spiritually speaking, in terms of how do I know I'm going to get to heaven? How do I know that this actually is going to be the case? What union with Christ teaches is that if, if heaven required a face ID and you lift up your phone or whatever it is so that it needs to see your face, it'll, the, the software will see your face your unique features, your eye color, your wrinkles, your nose, whatever. It's going to recognize you. It's going to say, that's Stephen. I see him. But the thing that makes it unlock is that it's going to read as Jesus. It's going to see your face, but it's going to read it as if it's Jesus. Because it's not, it's not my righteousness that's getting me into heaven. It's Jesus's righteousness that's given to me that I put on. I'm in him. And though it reads me and my uniqueness, it's Jesus that actually is the unlocking feature. And so just to close us, this is kind of fitting because it's Halloween. Maybe some of you are going to put on some Halloween costume in the next couple of days. And you're going to put on the identity of, of something else and run around for a couple hours pretending to be whatever that is. That's fun. That's great. But this is, this is the, the theological Christian version of what that true longing is meant to be, to be fulfilled in, is that we get to put on Jesus and walk around in him and take on all of his benefits, all of his joy, 
all of his access to God. And that's going to carry us all the way home, all the way into heaven by his spirit and for his glory. And so in future weeks, we're going to talk about what does that actually practically look like? If I, if I am unified with Christ, how do I pursue sanctification? How do I persevere to the end? How do I get to heaven and be glorified? All of it's based on this union with Christ and being found in him. Let me close us in prayer and we'll finish by singing a final song. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this plan of redemption that you started uh, from the beginning of time to redeem and to ransom people back to yourself. And this beautiful reality that, that Jesus is offering us himself and that we can be actually more than we ever could be on our own through faith in you. Um, so God, I pray that this will land well for people today, that they would feel the practical implications of this. Um, and that as we build on it in future weeks, that a, a steady, strong life of faith would be emerging for each person here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.